Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 110. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm doing very well, sir. Very well. How are you? I'm very tired, Paul. I'm very tired. Mm. Yes. I had a night terror last night, which was, uh, is, mm. is not a sweet metal band, the way it sounds. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I actually, yeah, I woke up four in the morning screaming, which really impl- impressed my lovely wife, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so I was up at four screaming and, and actually what happened is I had a dream, which I won't get into, but in the dream, I heard someone screaming far away. And I actually think what was happening is that was me. Yeah. Because I, I woke up and, and yeah, I was, uh, I was shouting pretty good and it was a particularly terrifying dream. So it took me a while to get finally, to get back down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, consequently it was, uh, this, this morning was, shall we say a challenge? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still coming to terms with the concept of dreams, and I've I've had another weird one. Um, yeah, this we week were talking the other day, and uh, <laughs> that was something else, brother. Yeah, yeah. It's just really odd. I mean, you know, having a dream about trying to save someone, and I I leave a room to go get some blood because we have to do a blood transfusion because they've been infected by aliens. And Nick Redfern's there, the famous author and investigator. Naturally, and then. Apparently, whoever we're trying to save blows up, and I come back in the room, and Nick Redfern says, oh, don't worry, you don't need the blood now, they've blown up. And I'm like, what? And there's like bits of them all around the room. <laughs> but there's no blood, it's just bits of body, like an arm or a foot around the room, and it was all a bit strange. Um, and then obviously the night after that, uh, my partner had a nightmare and <laughs> woke me up screaming, um, oh. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay? And she went, yeah, I've just had a nightmare now. Shush. And went straight back to sleep. And I'm laid there, <laughs> wide awake, sweating, thinking, God, Bennett. And then the night after, obviously, as I was telling you earlier, um, I was awoken with her dreaming, rubbing my head, going. <laughs> <laughs> That's... At, uh, at half three in the morning as well. So yeah, it's been a great week in my house for sleep too. That is the creepiest thing. Like, like more than my night terror, more even than, you know, when I hear Nick laughing in the night when she's alone in the darkened bedroom, just the, the fact that she was touching you and, and mm. softly chuckling to herself. This does not fill me with confidence, nor should it fill you with confidence either, I might add. 
No, I don't know what she's planning, but it's not, probably not good. Oh, so I have to see if Kev's busy once. Uh... <laughs> so yeah, dr- more weird dreams in my uh, my. I'm nearly at my anniversary of of rediscovering the concept of dreams, so uh, that's certainly one of the weirdest I've had. It's been an eventful year, my friend. It's <laughs> one way to look at it. I'm surprised I'm still here, to be honest, with these dreams. Well, the, between <laughs> between that and you're attempting to offend various paranormal groups with uh, your many and varied shows, yeah, I mean, <laughs> your old timey diseases. Yeah, we were laughing about that at work today. About you know, middle of a pandemic, and I get hospitalized with a Victorian disease. It's the it's the, it's the Paul Bestel signature. Again, <laughs> we're, you're the original hipster. You're, you're, I'm not just going to get any disease. I'm going to get one that medical professionals have a nickname for, which is the hot potato disease. Yeah, we, we, the kind of disease we need to invent a time machine so we can go back to find the medicine to treat it. <laughs> yes, yes. Strychnine and cocaine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And lashings of gin and maybe some leeches. Maybe I need hot potato. Sounds like a great time. <laughs> Speaking of the opposite of that, I was, I was telling you off air that I had a... a particularly um, eventful evening walk the other mm. night. Because obviously, I, with the pandemic still happening, you still are not going to catch me within 300 yards of a gym. So my, my fitness routine essentially involves push-ups and going for walks, neither of which are particularly inspiring. And the other night, uh, I was going to go for a walk, and I, I had an incident which uh, we've already recorded the B segment with our guest, uh, author Amanda Woomer, with whom we'll be reading from her book, Ghosts of the Ghost Light Theater. Uh, so that that's recorded, and I on there I tell you the story. But on the night that story happened, of course, I went for a walk, and it it just felt dicey to be out. There were men screaming on the street, uh, clearly very angry, looking for fights. Homeless men, not and and the men who were not homeless, just guys. I don't know. It was an angry night. Mm-hmm. And then past a certain point, I thought, okay, this is this is stupid. I'm going to turn around. Time to go home. Uh, you know, go grab a soda and a bag of chips and go hunker down on the couch and, and watch a bad movie because being outside okay. doesn't seem like a real smart move at this point. And as I passed the park near to my house, I heard again furious screaming coming from the dark. A man just clearly enraged about something, and I don't know what. But it was, it was, it was, it was a, a fearsome scream. Like it, it, it was a primal scream. This was a person who was. Furious, So I, I took out my headphones because I thought I'm going to need to be aware of my surroundings. Mm. And I found out the next morning that less than 12 hours after I heard that, someone in that same park was attacked with a hammer, a goddamned hammer. And, uh, I, you know, start from here on out when the voice says, hey, dude, maybe don't go for a walk tonight. I'm going to go for a drive instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I, sometimes you have situations in life and i think most people can appreciate that that sometimes things just don't feel right everything feels off and and we i've i've often commented on this when i was younger and i i ran bars and clubs there would be some days you just knew that something was going to happen you could just feel it oh interesting Interesting. strange sense things just don't feel right things feel heavy it feels it, it feels like trouble without wishing to sound like being cliched. It's, it's a weird thing. So I know exactly what, you, what you're referring to there. So always listen to your gut, folks. If something's telling you, maybe not tonight, no matter what it is you're doing, just listen. Yeah. Because you know what? What's the worst going to happen? You spend a night inside watching Iron Man 3 again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
we've just got to Black Panther on my uh, my third rewatch of the Marvel canon. <laughs> oh, fabulous! That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my partner's not seen that one, so uh, I'm looking forward to her telling me off and setting. Usually, she usually says during climactic segments of Marvel films, "Are you crying, Paul?" <laughs> just got something in me eye. <laughs> she can't because <laughs> occasionally when I go out and have a drink I get a bit excitable as you may know and, shocked, um, shocked. Uh, obviously during the first stages of the pandemic uh, she would often come downstairs because she obviously doesn't need to deal with my bullshit and, sure. um, and, and love of weird 80s synth music and um, she, she'd come downstairs and say are you watching Endgame again? <laughs> <laughs> And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did that with uh, the Denzel Washington movie, Man on Fire. I don't yeah. know why, but during the pandemic, if I needed to cry, I could just put on Man on Fire and this horrifically violent film about a man killing his way across Mexico City to save the young girl who opened his heart back up just mm. every time, just tears. It was, I don't know. So we, we, we both had our thing, I guess. <laughs> yes all right well on this episode you will not cry uh but hopefully you'll have a a pretty great scare because as i mentioned we do have a guest she is a wonderful amanda woomer author of a haunted atlas of western new york and and so much more we'll, we'll talk more about it after the break but amanda was a fantastic guest we read stories from her book ghosts of the Ghostlight theater and i i can't wait for you to hear it so we are recording this episode a week ahead of schedule uh, consequently, we won't have any patron shoutouts this time around. We want to just give a little more time. There are one or two floating around, but we thought better wait till we record the next show and, and we can get everyone in one fell swoop. So if you are a new patron, th- thank you very much. And uh, we, will, we will definitely shout you out on the next show. And if you're not a new patron, you can become one at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Hey, it's me chiming in way after the fact. Like Paul and I mentioned, we recorded this show about a week ahead of schedule. And in the interim, we were lucky enough to land a musical guest, someone I'm actually really enthused about because I found their music in January and have become a big fan of it. Not only that, but the song we'll be sharing with you at the end of the show has become one of my favorite songs full stop. I just adore it. And so at the very end of the show, between the sign-off and the outtakes, you'll be hearing the song Cracked Wide Open by The Revenants. That is from their album Human Conditions, and you can find more from them at therevenants1.bandcamp.com and there's also a YouTube channel both of which we're going to link in the show notes alright now what was I saying so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Amanda Woomer and Ghosts of the Ghost Light Theater Welcome back. As we said before the break, we are fortunate enough to be joined by a guest on this episode. She is the creator of the website Spook Eats, a repository of haunted travel destinations, restaurants, hotels, hikes, and a whole lot more from across America. She's a curator of the brand new biannual journal, The Feminine Macabre, highlighting the work of women in the paranormal field. She's also the author of several books, including A Haunted Atlas of Western New York, The Spirit Guide, and the collection we'll be reading from today, Ghosts of the Ghostlight Theater. She is Amanda Woomer. Amanda, welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to hang out with you guys. You say that now. You say that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Famous welcome. last words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but welcome. And it's lovely to speak to you again, Amanda. Yeah, you too. Happy to, happy to be back with you, Paul. I was saying this to you off air, and because uh, I sometimes can't help being a little bit of an ass kisser, but uh, <laughs> I'm a really big fan of Spookies. I, I just love the idea of a, of a place that is kind of a one-stop shop for haunted locations on the road. And I kind of have to imagine that's going to be a huge deal coming up as, as the sort of the pandemic starts to fade into the rear view. Here's hoping. I was going a little stir crazy now, having to like wait for the last year, year and a half of not traveling. So is it opening up at all sort of where you are? A little bit. You know, we're in New York, so um, we're definitely of like the mask wearing culture, um, which I'm very much okay with because I have a, a new little one that can't be vaccinated and can't wear a mask. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, um, but like restaurants are opening back up. We're starting to see sporting events and festivals making plans for the summer months. So I think we're, we're heading in that direction, um, which is, I feel like good news for everyone, as long as we do it safely, you know, and, and use common sense. Amen to that. So uh, before we get started, cause obviously we're going to read, be reading from ghost of the ghost light. But before we get there again, I just would love to uh, hear a little bit about Spook Eats and kind of how it came to be. Sure. So Spook Eats is a travel website where we, when there's not a pandemic happening, we travel the country <laughs> and we visit haunted restaurants, bars and hotels. Um, we will try the food. We'll review the food. We'll share the ghost stories. And basically this stemmed from a personal tragedy in my life. Um, back in 2015, my younger brother, Jed, he passed away after a battle with pediatric cancer. And that for me was kind of the turning point in my paranormal journey. Up until then, I had always been very interested in it, um, reading books and watching TV shows and even, you know, kind of like quote unquote ghost hunting on my own. But after he passed away in 2015, that was when I really decided to start researching and study the paranormal. And I found that a lot of places that are those infamous locations that you know about, usually from television shows. They were very difficult to access. Oh. Um, yes, either you know you need to be a part of a team or relatively well-known or have a large amount of money in order to oh, rent these course. places out. Yes, of course, follow the money. Um, and I found that it was really difficult for your average everyday person to access the paranormal. So that's why I turned to haunted hospitality because these locations, these restaurants and these hotels, they are just as historic as a lot of the places that you might hear about on the internet or on television. And they're just as haunted, if not even more haunted. And they're far more enjoyable to visit with heat and electricity and plumbing and food and drink. I love so, all those things. Exactly. It's far more enjoyable to go to a haunted pub than it is to go to a former jail cell. That was kind of um, the reason why I wanted to start Spook Eats was I can't be the only person that's ever lost a loved one and then questioned what comes next and turn to the paranormal to find those answers. Um, so I really wanted to create kind of like a, what you said, a one-stop shop to find these locations that if you're traveling somewhere or even if you're living in these areas, um, you can access the paranormal for the, you know, the price of a pint of beer or an appetizer or an overnight stay in a hotel. Um, so my, my real goal was to make the paranormal accessible to everyone and not just the people that you see on TV. 
And so when you were going to these places, did you sort of mention, hey, uh, by the way, this is what I do. And do you have any stories? And were people receptive if you did? Yeah. So usually I, I would warn the place and explain to them, this is what I do. This is my website. Is it okay if I come and I highlight you? And is there anyone that would be willing to talk with me? And nine times out of 10, people are really, really receptive. They're really excited to have me come. Um, And it's amazing when, you know, they'll say like, oh yeah, we'll have one or two people, you know, tell you their stories. And then you end up having your whole table surrounded by people. (laughs) It just, it's so interesting because I feel like paranormal encounters tend to feel very isolating. You know, you experience something and you think to yourself, you know, I have to be crazy. I couldn't possibly have experienced that. But then when you start talking about it, you realize that everyone has a good ghost story. Everyone's either experienced something or they know someone that has, or they know of a story. Um, So it's this really unifying bond that all the weirdos tend to have. Um, So it's been really great to see the reaction that these locations have that, you know, they see it as a way to tap into a whole new audience, um, you know, whether or not they really advertise their hauntings or not. Um, You know, every so often you get those locations that don't want to talk about their history or their hauntings, which is fine. I respect that. I I know there are places here that will uh, kind of chase you out with a broom if you start talking up those particular subjects. Uh, There is even one place, actually, and this is one of the few things in my life I consider a major accomplishment. When I was writing my book, A Strange Little Place, um, available everywhere fine books are sold, um, the the owners of one particular establishment, they actually changed their signage after my my visit to include the words, not haunted. And so, like I said, I consider that one of the great achievements of my life is I caused someone to change their advertising campaign. Not intentionally, but still. <laughs> well, we've got, we used to have a couple in, in Sheffield, um, and one of them was very proud of the fact that it claimed to be Sheffield's most haunted pub and had a big sign outside and everything. Um, and there was a pub across the road, which basically took the mickey out of them and just said, <laughs> the only spirits we have are behind the bar. Oh, Amazing. <laughs> Uh, though sadly both of them are now shut. Uh, so, oh. so, yeah. so either way of dealing with that kind of promotion didn't work for either of them. One's turned into a Starbucks. The other is, is just. Oh, oh, oh. no. Ugh. No, is it the haunted, is the haunted one or the not haunted one that turned into a Starbucks? Uh, the haunted one is now Starbucks. So uh, you may get uh, a latte and a little bit more if you go there, but I won't go there anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I went when it was a pub, uh, and it was one of the most unhaunted feeling locations I've ever been to in my oh, life. Geez. I swear so. that 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 is generally my experience. The more a place advertises its yes. haunting, the the less uh, the less I ever have felt there. That's that's your experience too, Amanda. Oh, a hundred percent. The ones that really promote it and advertise it and charge more because of their haunting, nine mm. times out of ten, I I find that. If there is anything there, it's vastly over exaggerated. And, and even then, like half the time I'll go and I'll be like, they're like, the history doesn't line up or there, you know, you don't catch anything or you talk to the employees and they're like, yeah, no, we don't experience anything. So it's always the really subtle places and like the more mom and pop shops that I feel like are the genuine hidden jewels of sorts. Yeah. I, I recall years ago, I was down in the rural U.S. I want to say in Washington state with a, a friend 
and my wife, and we were looking for a place to crash overnight. And we came upon this lovely little set of bungalows. And it was a little motel. And I said to myself, well, that looks nice. So I started to pull into the driveway. And my friend, who is extraordinarily sensitive to these things, but usually doesn't doesn't really ever bring it up, all of a sudden I, I, I hear them go, no, 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 not here. <laughs> not here, not here, not here. And I said, whoa, shit, what's, what's wrong? And they said, you know what? I don't know, but not here. There's something wrong. And so we just turned around and, and we found somewhere else. But uh, again, you wouldn't know it. And uh, the, the, nothing in the signage indicated that, yeah, you know, Norman Bates' mother lives here. It yeah. was just <laughs> otherwise bucolic little roadside motel. So as you say, it's, it's quite often the ones you're not expecting. And on that subject, would people expect the Ghost Light Theater? Is, is, that, uh, is that a particularly known haunted building in, is it North Tonawanda? It is North Tonawanda. Good job. You even pronounced it right. Wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. Um, no, uh, it's it's not relatively well-known um, haunted-wise. It looks like a church because it used to be a church. So it's not that doom and gloom, intimidating creep factor. Um, and especially in Western New York, there's about five or six haunted locations that everyone knows about. And at Halloween time, you know, the local newspaper will run, you know, the haunted places you should know about this time of year. And it's always the same list. Right. Um, and the ghost light is never included on it. And it's so funny because for me, it's granted, I've spent the most time at the ghost light theater. I've been a member since 2005. Right. Um, it's so shocking to me that not that many people know about it. Again, it's this little hidden gem that in a way I'm kind of happy that it's not so commercialized or so well known in the area because I feel like it just is so potent and so alive, for lack of a better term, um, when it comes to its haunting. Interesting. I, I know, uh, again, my hometown of Revelstoke, you know, it's, it's very much the same way. It, it was an extraordinarily haunted place, as I discovered. You know, I didn't know that when I was a kid. It was sort of something that came to me when I started actually doing the research. But by and large, you wouldn't know it. And I always wonder if these towns have a, have a similar effect somehow. If there's, if that, there's something about that particular part of notoriety or that particular kind of notoriety that they just somehow managed to deflect without even consciously doing it, you know? No, absolutely. And I feel like a lot of times with hauntings, you know, not always, but I think a lot of times it does stem from darker parts of history. So just looking at that, you know, the mundane aspect, you know, not even ghosts and hauntings, but a lot of times towns like to try to forget those darker aspects of history because it's kind of a taint on their, their history and, and just sure. the energy of the town in general. So, so is there a, a dark history around the ghost light? This is interesting. Not, not officially and not that we really know of. However, we've really, since the pandemic, the theater hasn't been able to put on any performances. So they haven't been able to make money that way. So we've been hosting small ghost hunts to try to you know make back some of the money we lost this past year right. and every time we go we get these very strange interactions um voices coming through spirit boxes or evps or strange coincidences with names that we have from church records and things like that and there's definitely a, a sense that something happened there, like an accident that someone oh. that that resulted in someone dying. Obviously, we can't conf we haven't been able to confirm any of this with 
records or newspapers or anything, but we're trying to like piece it together. But it's been fascinating to see the different coincidences and the the same names popping up over and over again and locations coming up over time. So I'll have to get back to you on that. Officially, (laughs) no, there's no dark history surrounding the Ghostlight Theater, but unofficially, we're starting to think that something might have happened to kind of leave an impact on the energy of the space. So you mentioned that doing these ghost hunts has sort of been a function of the pandemic because you, you, obviously the theater can't, uh, can't operate as it ordinarily would. Is the book Ghost of the Ghostlight, was that also a pandemic project or is that something that you had planned to do anyways? It was something that the owner and I had discussed for several years. Just we want to try to write down as many ghost stories as we can, because we knew that people were experiencing similar things throughout the building. But finally, um, with COVID and they had to cancel um, two of their shows last summer, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to put this together. I know how to put books together. I enjoy doing it. So I kind of just put out a call to cast and crew members from years ago or recently and just see what people had to offer. Um, So in the end, it ended up being a a pandemic project and um, 100 percent of the proceeds go right back to the theater. I don't take any money out of it. Um, And it's been great. We've actually raised several thousand dollars for the theater. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, just from sales from this book. Um, And it's great. Um, It's basically over 100 stories from the last 20 years from people who have been on, you know, cast members, crew members, audience members, um, whether they've only been a part of it for a few years or they've been there for the last 20 years. Um, So it's been really a, a great little project that I wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in, um, but people wanted to be a part of it and people wanted to buy it. Um, and we're already actually working on a volume two, um, oh, which wow. is which is really exciting. And I think because we are having these ghost hunts and we are kind of talking about the ghost stories and kind of stirring that up, that people are remembering things that happened to them. Sure. Um, and, and they're kind of more open to the possibility of paranormal encounters. So when something does happen to them, you know, especially without the throughout the last year, um, they're noticing it and they're writing it down or they're writing to me and letting me know. So um, it's been, it's been a great little project um, and it's been, uh, a sort of almost like a time capsule in a way. Like we include old photos. We include photos from uh, productions from the last 20 years, as well as all of these ghost stories. And listeners, what you're going to be hearing on this show is only a very small portion of what's in the final book. And we really encourage you to pick up a copy because not only is it a great collection of ghost stories, you're also supporting a great cause. You're helping support the Ghost Light Theater. And uh, as we're, we're big fans on this show of supporting the arts. And uh, with that... Let's get on to the stories. The Lady in Red. One of the responsibilities of a community theater's technical director is keeping up to date with the latest available technology. A local radio personality featured in our 2001 summer musical had provided equipment to convert our compact discs into mini discs. Late one night in July 2001, a co-worker and I were busy in the sound booth doing just that when she asked who else was in the building. I told her no one. She explained she had just seen a woman carrying something from the hallway behind the stage into the green room. 
We searched the building, checking the locks as we went, and found no one. A few months later, my 15-year-old daughter and I were the only ones working in the theater late one night. I was aiming lights, and she was painting scenery. I excused myself to step outside for a smoke break. Not two minutes later, my daughter came running out of the theater, white as a ghost. She claimed there was a woman in the auditorium watching her paint. Was it possible that my coworker and my daughter saw the same woman? I needed to find out. I called my friend who had helped me convert the discs. I told her my daughter was with me in the theater and I intended to ask them questions simultaneously. They agreed. I knew they couldn't hear one another, so I was confident their answers would be their own. I asked what color the woman's hair was. My friend on the phone answered, chestnut, while my daughter pointed to the brunette hair on her own head. I asked the style of the woman's hair. My friend said, piled up in a bun with ringlets around the sides and back. My daughter replied, like the wigs the actresses wore in Little Women. What was she wearing? I asked. My friend said, a floor-length Victorian-era dress, while my daughter replied, like the dresses we wore in A Christmas Carol. Lastly, I asked for the color of the dress. Over the phone, I heard my friend say, burgundy, while my daughter replied, red. They had seen the same apparition. I couldn't speak to either of them for a moment. So many thoughts were racing through my head. How many times in life do you get to witness the birth of a legend? As stunned as I was, two facts were perfectly clear to me. The Ghost Light Theater had a resident ghost, and her name was going to be the Lady in Red. And the first thing that jumped out at me there was the fact that uh, what you've described is the difference between asking me something and asking Paul something, because Paul will say, oh, that was the uh, floor-length Victorian-era dress, and I'll say, it was a pretty lady like in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, it's that's burgundy brennan red it was red <laughs> i know four colors paul and burgundy is not one of them yeah well like we were saying we did a live stream the other week and and my shirt in most people's uh language would be red but uh, according to the label it was wine oh fancy mm. well, I, I, re- I refuse to believe the liberal conspiracy of there being more than four colors not, not happening. <laughs> so has the lady in red turned up again oh my gosh yes Many, many times. Basically, she is kind of our star when it comes to the ghosts of the Ghost Light Theater. She is the one that everyone, I don't want to say everyone knows about because not everyone even knows that the theater is haunted, but going through stories and hearing people's stories from the last 20 years, you know, they'll talk about like, oh yeah, I saw this lady with brown hair and she had a red dress on. And they'll talk about it from 2004 down in the basement. Or 2019, while they're on stage and they look out and they see a woman in a red dress up in the balcony. And they don't realize that their stories are all lining up. Um, But and whenever people see her, she's always physical. It's not that she sees through or she looks like a ghost, you know, to the point where people actually have seen her. And they've like moved to get out of her way because they think that she has to go out on stage or she's trying to get somewhere. Oh, yeah. So she is definitely one of the main players in the the Ghost Light Theater. Um, She's been around since I mean, this was back in 2001. So back when they first got the building and who knows how long she was there when it was a church as well. Have you been able to pinpoint a historical connection for her or is is she still kind of a a bit of a question mark that way? She's definitely 
she's a question mark. Basically, we actually have a photograph from around the late 1920s, early 1930s of a vacation Bible school and three separate people, um, one of them being the young girl in this story, um, have pointed out this one particular woman in this group shot of easily 50 people. And they've all said, that's the lady in red. That's her face, Mm. Um, which is so weird that this is a woman from, you know, the 20th century. But the clothing that people are seeing her in is always described as Victorian. Um, So it's weird. Like we have a photograph of what we think might be at least her face. Um, But she's described as being, you know, the end of the 19th or uh, end of the 20. Oh, my gosh. End of the 19th century, early 20th century. So. Who knows? She's an enigma for sure. I love this idea that there is some kind of ghost central casting where you go to get your costume before you go on somewhere. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> she might just really be into vintage clothing. That's right? it. Yeah, there have to be hipster ghosts too, Paul. It just makes sense. <laughs> of course there does. Of course there does. I imagine that'll be you and I once we uh, enter the great beyond <laughs> sneering at popular music and demanding you know, single origin coffee beans. <laughs> Yeah, imagine the ghosts that are going to be hanging around certain coffee shops. <laughs> there, there's one at the end of my road, man. That is going to have the worst ghosts. The worst ghosts. <laughs> I, I spent two weeks in L.A. back in 2015. No, Aside from being pre- nearly present at three shootings, which were not about me. I just have this sort of thing where I'm drawn <laughs> to places where shit's happening. Apart from that, no one bothered me. No one at all. I had lovely conversations, may, met cool people, uh, you know. But I come back here. I'm here for two days in this, really, let's face it, Victoria is, a, it's a nice place, but it's not exactly a cultural hub. And immediately I get back here and the people at the local coffee shop down the road treat me like absolute garbage. And I thought, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what is it with you people? Are my jeans not skinny enough for you? <laughs> is that still a thing? Oh, Christ, I don't know, Paul, I'm old. <laughs> I'm old, eh? <laughs> no, that's, that's true, that's true. My arteries are probably older than yours, but other than that. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Picnic. This was over 10 years ago now, when we were doing the greatest show that no one ever came to see, Picnic. The set was one of the most ambitious at the time, with two two two-story functioning houses that we needed to side with cardboard. During winter break, I was off school and decided to help my dad with the siding. It was a Goliath task. At one point, he had to leave to get something from the store. I knew the building was supposedly haunted, but I also didn't want to look like a scaredy cat. So I offered to stay at the theater by myself and continue working. He'd only been gone about 15 minutes, I tried to remind myself. While he was out, I played some music to try and keep myself from thinking about the expansive theater that was right behind my back. Between songs, I started hearing weird sounds coming from the balcony. A creak here, a knock there. It's just an old building, I assured myself as I continued to work, the hair on the back of my neck standing on end. Finally, there was a bang so loud that I heard it over the music playing. I looked over my shoulder to see what it could be and saw a shadow pass in front of the spiral staircase door up in the balcony. It only appeared for a split second before it vanished, but it was solid 
and completely blocked out the light shining through the spiral staircase's windows. Needless to say, I sighed in relief once my dad came back. The soda and the snack he had brought me didn't hurt either. So Amanda, that is that is one of your stories, correct? It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> May I salute your bravery in staying in the empty haunted theater all by yourself? Because I would not. <laughs> Thank you. I still go there by myself every so often. And I still just thinking about it now, like my heart's kind of pounding and I'm getting like sweaty just thinking about it. So, <laughs> so thank you. I have met guys who've seen action in Afghanistan and I still think you are the bravest person I know currently. So, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Was that one of your first experiences then, Amanda, in, in the theater? It was. And I, I had had a few experiences where I was with a group of people and we all kind of were like, did did we see something? Did we hear something? But we never really quite knew. This was probably the first one for me where I knew for a fact that something had just happened. And the fact that I was alone did not help at all. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, it was definitely kind of the moment for me. This was about two years after I had first joined. And for me, it kind of solidified the fact that, okay, yeah, this theater is haunted. There's something weird going on in here. You know, my dad would always be like, oh, it's just an old building. It's settling. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. It's settling. <laughs> but why is there something up in the spiral staircase? Like, why did I just see something? That's not a building settling. Yeah. So, the building yeah. Cannot, <laughs> cannot settle and block out the light. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if it does, so, we have real problems. Yeah, right. So, mm. but yeah, and, and shadows are definitely something that people, you know, report seeing on a somewhat regular basis not just especially in the spiral staircase area that's kind of like the number one haunted place in the building um but just recently at our last ghost hunt um someone was up in the steeple area and uh two people at the bottom of the stairs looking up into the steeple they both saw a shadow figure um behind the the person up up in the steeple so um Oof. they're definitely they're there i don't know if it's the same i personally feel like it's the same entity or individual um that we just are seeing throughout different parts of the building um i don't mm -hmm. think it's like multiple shadowy figures um so but who knows Interesting. I know shadow people are something we come back to a lot on this show. Before I started writing the book, I was, I was a very skeptical person. And even honestly, when I started first researching the book, I was very skeptical. It was more of like a family history slash, hey, it's something better to do with my time to watch television kind of project. And then I had uh, two shadow person encounters within the span of about two weeks. Wow. And it completely changed my, my perspective on the subject. And since then, it's, it's been one of those things that comes up again and again on the show. But I'm curious to know if in your experience at the ghost light, so often shadow people are kind of associated with a, a negative, a negative feeling or a negative sense. Has that been the case there? Uh, it's difficult to say. I feel like people always associate, yeah, a negative feeling with shadow shadowy figures or shadow people um and i feel like that really goes with the fact that they're dark um right. so it immediately gives you a, a a creep factor you know turn it up to 11 sort of feeling <laughs> yes. um but i feel like i i personally don't feel like there's really any anything negative at the ghost light in like the malicious sense right but i do think that 
whatever that shadowy figure is, I do think that there's a heaviness to it, whether that has right. to do with this tragedy that we're kind of piecing together or if there's something more to it or just, you know, I mean, it was a church, you know, people were baptized there and married there, but people also died there and they had their funerals there. So there is that collective somberness that maybe has been kind of personified into this shadowy figure. Who knows? The little girl in the blue dress. We were working in the basement one night putting set pieces away and generally straightening up when I saw a little girl in a blue dress and pigtails dash down the long basement hallway and disappear into the theater's office. Thinking it was my niece, I followed her and jumped into the office yelling, Boo! The office was empty. I asked the other men if they'd saw a little girl and they replied they had seen no one. Confused, I went upstairs to figure it out. I stepped into the green room, and there was my niece sitting in a chair doing her homework. She wore her trademark pigtails, but instead of a blue dress, she had on black sweatpants and a red shirt. I asked her if she was in the basement, and she replied that she hadn't been in the basement all night. I asked throughout the building, had any of the other volunteers seen this little girl? No one had. The thing is, she was a real girl. There was nothing ghost-like about her. She made noise when she ran, and had a bright smile on her face. She was real. I know she was. And that is really particularly interesting to me. I mean, again, I, I like the whole book, but that one really jumped out at me because in Revelstoke, there is a house where two families who are not known to each other, 10 years apart, both had stories of a little girl in a blue dress who would come to play with their daughter at night. And then I, I did a spot on Coast to, I think it was Coast to Coast a few years ago. And I was contacted by a woman from New Jersey. And when she was a little girl, she played with a little girl in the blue dress. That's so interesting. I never thought of it as being kind of one of those, like a woman in white, a lady in red, a little girl in a blue dress. That's so interesting. And I was never really able to get too much detail, at least on the Revelstoke one, because the family was pretty adamant that they just didn't want to talk about it. Mm. But I managed to get a hold of the babysitter who kind of had this experience. And what was really creepy about it is that the way it was phrased by the child she used to come to play with, because the child didn't think there was anything unusual about it. Mm. But she said she comes at night and then in the morning she goes back to the bushes. Oh. Right? <laughs> That's some daughter of Sasquatch nonsense. And I don't know how I feel about that at all. Um, I mean, obviously as well, what's striking about that story is obviously... Uh, Jesse, who whose experience that is, he describes it, you know, she's got a big smile on her face. So when you were uncovering the other experiences similar to this, Brennan, was this the reaction of who was being haunted? Was that positive as well? That You know, when they were playing with the, the daughter, it was a positive interaction. Yeah, it was. The only negativity sort of came in when you were dealing with the parents, because obviously adults have much of a more much more of an issue with this kind of stuff usually than kids do but mm -hmm. even the woman who contacted me after whatever radio spot it was she's she was no this was just a friend of hers who she played with but she you know did not appear to be real has that uh, particular apparition turned up again amanda yes she has as well over the years we've kind of pieced things together and we do think her name is mary oh um, okay yes and she's almost always down in the basement um and 
It's interesting because uh, another individual, probably around like 2007, 2008, um, he was a young man and he went down into the basement um, after rehearsal and he saw basically the same the same sort of interaction where he saw the little girl in the blue dress, thought it was, um, you know, the Jesse's niece um, and as he came back upstairs, he saw her talking with his girlfriend. Um, so he, then he realized, oh, like, that's not who I saw. What the heck's going on? Um, so, you know, she's been seen several times, um, not so much in recent years, but um, especially when we, you know, have those public ghost hunts. Um, she's definitely the most playful, which you would expect, you know, if you're a little kid, um, right. you're more curious. Um, so she definitely um, likes to play with the different gadgets that light up. And um, especially one of the women who um, she's the costume designer for um, all the shows and she's there all the time. Um, she definitely kind of has like a soft spot for Mary. And I think that there is definitely kind of like a mother daughter relationship there um, where Mary likes oh, to okay. kind of hang around her and she can kind of pick up on Mary's energies. Um, so we, we assume that her name is Mary. She responds to the name Mary. Um, and we got that name through an EVP session years ago. So, oh, yeah. wow. Hmm. I'm always interested when there appears to be kind of a relationship between a living person and a, a, you know, an entity, because I think so often we kind of a sin committed by some ghost hunting shows is they kind of treat these things like, like just like repeating phenomena, like, like, like record recordings mm -hmm. that you can just kind of hit play on. And, and they miss quite often the fact that there can be this relationship, you know, there can be this kind of connection. Um, one of the women I, I interviewed a long time ago, she was a, an artist or pardon me, I, I interviewed a friend of hers. The artist is, is passed on, but every night for years, she had a little boy come watch her paint and she didn't know who he was. And he would just come at night. He'd sit in the chair and watch her paint and he'd be gone in the following morning or, you know, by the, by the end of the night. But you know, there seemed to be a real connection there. And, and I feel like that's something that, um, it's, it's refreshing to hear about because you, you so rarely hear about it in other places. Yeah. And I feel like so many times, again, kind of going off of the, the sins of television, if there is that sort of relationship or even, uh, you know, a clinginess, um, it's always painted in a very negative way. You know, oh, it's an attachment. Um, oh, you yeah. know, it's, it's negative. It's a demon. Ah, watch out. And it's like, <laughs> uh, well, you know, if you're thinking that, you know, Mary is a little girl, the spirit of a little girl, you know, why wouldn't she, you know, gravitate towards certain individuals, especially ones that are constantly coming in the theater, that this woman has been a part of the theater company for over 20 years now. So since they got the building, she's been there and she's been there consistently. So, you know, of course she would probably go towards and gravitate towards this woman who is, you know, around the age of a mother. And, she, you know, she works with the kids in the acting classes. And, you know, so I feel like the word attachment or even like, a, you know, a relationship like that is kind of painted in a very dangerous negative light, but it can be something, you know, beautiful as long as, you know, boundaries are set and stuff and, you know, nothing negative has ever happened to this woman with Mary. So right. I think it's a beautiful relationship and I love when they seem to be interacting with one another. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. In The Legend of Sleepy Hollow in 2009, the Headless Horseman makes an entrance at the top of the stairs. 
During a rehearsal, very early in the party scene, the headless horseman appeared at the top of the steps. I stopped the rehearsal and called out, you are about 10 minutes early on that entrance, headless horseman. I was surprised when the actor playing the role called out from the back of the auditorium, I'm back here. Several actors witnessed the figure along with me, and all I had to say was, go, go. The actors swarmed the backstage area to find the mysterious figure. He was never found. To this day, we do not know who the shadowy figure was who stepped out on the stage during a fully lit dress rehearsal in full view of a cast of 15 actors. Night of the Living Dead. The most unnerving thing that I experienced was going down to the basement restroom during a performance of, what else? Night of the Living Dead. No one was down there, and I heard a scratching sound. I turned and looked, but didn't see anything. I walked through what I can only describe as a static electric wall and looked towards the kitchen area. There, I saw a woman smiling at me from behind the counter. I smiled back, looked straight ahead, and looked back at the lady who was no longer there. I checked the area out and found no one. I'm really impressed with this theatre's productions, Amanda, because they're putting on some amazing plays here. <laughs> I can say most of them are actually originals that the owner has written himself, so which I always love. Oh, no way. Yeah. So he like kind of adapts them himself? Yep, so The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is his own. He does a lot of classics, like he's done Nosferatu, The Legend of Dracula. He's done a production of Frankenstein, which is absolutely incredible. Um, so uh, lots of really great, The Hound of the Baskerville, uh, Treasure Island, Tom Sawyer, Little Women. Um, so he likes to take those classics and um, kind of add a fun twist to them. I was going to say, the um, I forgot to ask during the, the picnic story, Mm-hmm. I was really curious to know what that story is about because the, the, the picture that's included in the book, the, the, it, as you said in the story, there's a lot of staging going on there, a lot of, a lot of set work. And it kind of reminded me of this uh, Italian slasher film called Stage Fright, mm. which is set during uh, one dress rehearsal of this, this uh, you know, very, very elaborate stage production, uh, which is neither here nor there. But I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to uh, what Picnic was about. So Picnic is basically the story of like the prettiest girl in town who has everything that she could possibly want. She has, you know, a rich boyfriend, a happy family. And then this drifter comes in on the train and just destroys everything. She falls in love with him. They run off together. And so it's kind of a coming of age story where she kind of, you know, sheds these expectations that everyone puts on her to be, you know, the happy, pretty girl. And now you're going to marry this guy and be the happy, pretty housewife. And don't think for yourself, don't ask questions. Um, And so she runs off with him to live happily ever after. I like the sound of that. (laughs) And so I was thinking with the, uh, the night of the living dead story, that kind of sounds like something we, again, we've talked about a lot on here and I'm not a big fan of the phrase time slip. You just, I don't know. It seems a little too simple, but it does kind of sound like that. It kind of sounds like you're almost looking back a little bit, but in a very physical way. And it's interesting because the person who, who's that, that story is, um, his name is Tim Shaw and he's a relatively well-known psychic medium. You know, he's been featured on travel channel. Um, he does a lot of different paracons throughout, um, the United States. Um, and he just happens to be 
here in Western New York and he comes to the ghost light theater to see shows. Um, and so when I asked him, you know, do you have any stories for this book? That's what he came up with. So I'm almost wondering if like this static electric wall is what he senses when he experiences something. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but, and I wish I had asked him, you know, the lady, what did she look like? What, what color, what color was she wearing? You know, is it the lady in red? Who knows? (laughs) Mm. So I would love to know, and and we talked about this uh, last episode, a friend of mine had this experience where they were walking through their neighborhood a couple of years ago and they saw a man gardening in a yard, but he didn't look quite right. And they looked at him, he looked up from what he was doing at them. He looked very startled. And then all of a sudden he was gone. Oh, wow. And I was saying that I, I wonder if, you know, 40 years ago, some guy gardening <laughs> in his lawn had a very strange experience or if 40 years in the future. Some guy gardening in his lawn had a very strange experience. And I would, this made me think of that. You know, I wonder if 30 years past, there was a woman who had a real weird experience down, you know, down in the basement. Or if again, 30 years in the future, someone's put together something and sees this guy looking at him and can't quite make sense of what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that would be so wild. Pinning that for book number two. (laughs) I always like uh, a ghostly encounter where the ghost reacts Yes, me too. <laughs> because like Brennan says there, then there aren't many of them, but when you get one of those and, and it's almost as if you're the ghost. Yeah, which I, I love because, you know, it's, we got to get ours back on these bastards at some point. <laughs> <laughs> on me, will you? Yeah, yeah. How'd you like that now? Two can play at that game. <laughs> Zombie entrance. In 2008, I was in a production of Night of the Living Dead at the Ghostlike Theatre. I know, I know, very appropriate. The zombies in the show would move throughout the audience, so we had entrances on stage and at the back of the theatre. There was one entrance that was in the small alcove by the spiral staircase. This was my entrance. It was dark, which I'm sure didn't help my paranoia, but it was also cold, freezing cold, absurdly cold. As I waited for my cue during dress rehearsal, I felt a draft hit me. I turned to see if the door was open, but it was locked tight. When I turned back around to face the stage, I saw a shadow on the wall next to my own. It looked human, and then it moved. I immediately burst from the entrance and declared I wouldn't be using it, so my boyfriend took it instead. Soon, he had a similar experience, and our friend volunteered to take the entrance He prided himself on being a sceptic. However, later that night, our director gathered us together and told us that that particular entrance was now off limits. I never asked my friend why he gave it up too, but I don't really think I had to. I think the only thing more frightening than the shadow person to me in that story is the idea of immersive theater. <laughs> I love immersive theater. Oh well, I, I, I again, I admire your bravery. That you are the <laughs> the strongest person on this call. We've established that now several times. <laughs> the notion of me having to in any way interact with anything happening on stage fills me with the kind of horror normally reserved for people being chased by chainsaw wielding maniacs. Uh, we went to go see the the Lion King once on Broadway. Yeah, uh, my wife and I. <laughs> And she was just in tears. She loved it. The giraffes are going down the aisle. And it was, it was incredible. Like it was, it was a spectacle. Absolutely. Mm. But there's this part of me that was going, Jesus, I hope I don't have to dance with anything. (laughs) 
what is it about them that appeals to you, Amanda? I don't know. I feel like I was actually in Vienna, Austria, not to sound super pompous. <laughs> but, I just mentioned um, Broadway. You're fine. Okay. Um, and I, I remember I was sitting watching one of my favorite shows that is really only performed in the German speaking world. And I just remember turning and seeing like a vampire right next to me. And I was just, I, I don't know if it was the theater nerd in me or the vampire freak in me, but I was just so wrapped up in it. I'm just thinking about it. I have this big goofy grin on my face. I don't know. I just, I love it. It's so much fun, but at, for actors, it's probably one of the hardest things because you do have those people that try to break you and it's just oh that's torture but i don't know i just enjoy it so much i don't know why (laughs) i can feel your enthusiasm i just love it (laughs) (laughs) what's what's the german language production that uh, that you're such a fan of uh it's called tanz the vampire which is dance of the vampires based off of uh i think it's called fearless vampire killers by roman polanski yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yes, it is a hoot. Um, you should definitely look it up. It's so much fun. And they have vampires in the aisles. So <laughs> oh. that's the film that basically made Polanski. And it also introduced him to um, Sharon Tate. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I did that's not know how they met. Um, they became a couple during the filming of, of, of Fearless Vampire Killers. Fascinating. I, well, yes. I will. I will have to check that out from a safe distance. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And I was going to use this opportunity to share my my shadow person story with with you guys because I I was Ooh. I mentioned that off air. So mm. um, my wife, as I mentioned to you, Paul, she's been ill uh, this last little while. Nothing, nothing. I say nothing serious. It's it's painful, but it's not it's not um, debilitating, and it's not uh, it's it's not life ending. It's not that kind of thing. But it's something that will will require surgery here at the end of the month. And uh, the other night she'd gone to bed, and I was getting ready to go for my my evening walk. And I stepped into the bedroom, which was, of course, dark because I had very cleverly misplaced my headphones, as I do, and <laughs> was trying to find them. When I saw, and it was only for an instant, but I know what I saw, a hooded figure in shadow standing next to her in the bed. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And when I stepped in there, I stopped. I just froze because it was one of those things where you see it and then it's gone. And for a second you thought, well, no, that, I can't have seen what I just saw. That doesn't make sense. Mm. You know, it's, it's like, um, Paul, I don't know if you remember my story of being in Revelstoke and seeing those enormous shadow legs. Yes. It was kind of like that. It was like, I, I, I know what I've seen, but it's gone now and I can't possibly have seen what I thought I saw. But, um, anyways, she woke up right then and she, she looked at me and said, you know, what's, what's wrong? Cause I was just standing there gopping at her like a creeper. <laughs> And I said, well, I think I just saw someone standing next to you, but they're gone. And she kind of woke up and she said, well, you know, it's funny you say that because Bodie, which is one of our two cats, sort of, you know, her cat, so to, so to speak, he was being really, really weird earlier in the night. She said he was being really weird and almost never looking up, always just like determinedly looking at the bed. Mm. And whenever he walked anywhere, which he wasn't doing very much of, again, not like him, he refused to kind of look up. So it may be nothing, it may just be a coincidence, but certainly, uh, you know, interesting timing, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I mean, the other aspect of this is, and without wishing to sound like I'm being uh, argumentative about it. Not maybe you. Argumentative? Was- oh, no. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> Heaven forfend. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to change tact a little, yeah, for once. Um, maybe it's someone, because obviously... 
because of the the medical situation, what if it's someone coming just sure everything's all right and keeping an eye on them? Oh, sure. I mean, I don't necessarily think it's evil out of sort of out of hand. Um, yes. I, you know, it was just more like, uh, oh, that's weird. You mm. know, it was, it, I didn't get a sense of, yeah, yeah, I didn't get a sense of menace or anything like that. And, and we've definitely both felt someone in the apartment mm. lately, you know, off and on. And, and I mean, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Our apartment itself, our building itself is not haunted. Our old apartment building was. Um, but we do have things that move through from time to time. The Paper Man. My first experience was in 2001. This one sticks with me well. It was a clairaudient, the power to hear something not present in the ear, but regarded as having objective reality experience, making it even more strange. While waiting to make an entrance as Lottie in Don's Macabre, I was in the alcove under the spiral staircase. I was standing in the pitch dark. It was an eerie feeling as we had all talked about the spiral staircase so often. At the time, the tech crew had their stations for lights and sound right at the top of the stairs. But that door would be closed during the show, making it even darker in that alcove. I was staring at the window, listening for my cue. This was the fall show, and the windows had paper decorations on them. One window had a paper pumpkin, and the one I was looking out had a paper skeleton. All of a sudden, the hair on my neck went up. I heard what sounded like someone coming down the stairs. I froze, turned, and whispered, John, is that you? The name of the sound tech for the show. No answer. I turned around, frightened, wishing my cue would come quicker. I started looking out the window again. Very clearly, but clairaudient, in a man's voice I heard, That's it. Stare at the paper man. That set a chill to my bones. Still does whenever I recall it. Yeah, man. Yeah, that, that's the one I think that uh, threw me most in the entire book was that particular story. That one really got me. And I don't know if it's... Me too. Oh, really? Okay, so yes. it's not just me. No. Like, when I first read it, I was like... The woman who experienced that, Joanne, she probably sent 12 stories. And for whatever reason, I read that one and I just had to close my laptop and walk away for the rest of the night because it disturbed me so much. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to uncover any further information about who or what the paper man is? No, I mean, I'm assuming that like what that was is, you know, keep staring at that paper skeleton. You know, I'm I'm right here in the alcove with you. If you're too scared to look at me, keep looking at that. That's how I took it. Um, That's so much worse. I, I, yes. Like it scares the crap out of me just thinking about it. Um, you know, and a few people with the spiral staircase, um, a lot of us think that the energy of the former choir master is in the balcony and the spiral staircase area. And he seems to have a very powerful, um, I don't know, response to women but particularly mm. blonde women. Oh, okay. Um, and Joanne, the woman who experienced this, is blonde. Um, oh. So I really think that that's one of the reasons why it impacted her so much. Um, and a lot of people who have those experiences in the spiral staircase, usually if you hear from them, they're blonde. I think what I've, I, I noticed in, in the book, Amanda, is that the, this spiral staircase seems to be a real focal point for a lot of people to have a variety of experiences. Oh, yes. I always say it's 
probably the epicenter of activity. Um, And even people who are unaware that the building is haunted or that the spiral staircase even exists, if they're Mm. sitting in that area, you know, the house right area, um, a lot of them will pick up on their uneasy or the hair on the back of their neck stands on end, or they'll feel, you know, someone tap their shoulder or their hair being tugged. Um, And it's always people who are near the spiral staircase. Um, So it's definitely a powerful area. Heavy breathing. There are two ways you can get tickets by phone at the Ghostlight Theatre. I answer the phone and take your order, or you leave your order on the machine. That's it. No one else answers the phone. The phone is in my locked office, and I am the only one with a key. So it was strange one summer, when two ladies, on two separate occasions, told me they tried to place a ticket order, but the person who had answered the phone just breathed heavily on the line, laughed, and then abruptly hung up. Both called back and got the same response. I explained to them that my phone persona is flat and grumpy, but I would never breathe heavily, laugh and hang up. They both insisted they had dialed the right number. I didn't know how to respond. Someone or something had answered the phone in my locked office. Mm-hmm. It's not good, is it? Unacceptable. I'm curious, yeah. has, has there been any other occasions of that, Amanda, or is that the sort of the sole phone-related experience thus far? As far as I know, that's the only sort of phone um, experience. We have had several other experiences with the technology in the building, um, especially um, the walkie-talkies from backstage to the, the sound booth, um, where there have been voices coming through, um, and again, heavy breathing and laughter. Um, so it makes us think that... You know, there's the it, it, they seem like separate occasions and very um, independent of one another, but they're very, very similar um, and they happened around the same time. Um, so I don't know if it's something that was just kind of passing through because it never really happened before. And it, as far as I know, it hasn't really happened since. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see kind of like if something is manipulating um the technology the phone is very interesting to me because you know with the walkie-talkie you can pick up you know interference and you know things could happen but like with the phone it's a landline like it's not even a cell phone like so it's it makes me scratch my head to say the least oh yeah i mean paul i think you and i talked about this on the last show and i think i ended up having to cut it out for various reasons but uh, Hmm. you were telling me there are uh in one of your previous guests books there are uh, several occasions where landline phones made calls that were not actually originating with a person. They just seemed to be making their own call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another aspect. I I always like really strange paranormal phenomenon, and ghost calls are are one of the strangest because there are numerous examples uh, of, of either phones receiving strange calls from disembodied voices or whatever, or phones calling people on their own. Um, There's a very famous German poltergeist case where something was ringing the speaking clock um, and it was ringing it hundreds of times a day and they eventually had it uh, evaluated and the speed of the dial was physically impossible for a person to repeat. Oh. 
So, uh, yeah. And there's another famous one about a, uh, a disused signal box that kept ringing a police station. Right. Um, and people would turn up, but the signal box isn't there. Fascinating. Wow. So, yeah, I love, I love a good ghostly film. <laughs> <laughs> For any listeners who are new to the show, make sure to check out episode, I believe it's 47, Ghost in the Machine, because we have uh, th- that entire episode is about malfunctioning technology. And there is some really chilling stuff in there. I think it's still, in terms of content, uh, one of my favorite episodes. But that recently was sort of brought back up to my awareness. And and I mentioned this again on the past show and and I cut it out, but I'm going to mention it here. Because we were contacted by two different people within five days about our Centralia episode. And again, that's bonus episode, I believe three, Centralia and the Tyranny of Memory. Uh, in which I detail my ridiculous and and lengthy um, apparent spiritual connection to Pennsylvania. But again, we don't normally hear about that show. And then two people in five days contacted us about it. And one of them connected it back to Ghost in the Machine. And the way she did that was she said that in listening to Centralia and the Tyranny of Memory, where I talk about dreaming of places, which eventually I discovered to exist in small town Pennsylvania, which I had never heard of nor ever been to prior to this, she herself has had a series of dreams about a place called the bluff or a bluff, something about a church on a bluff, but she, she's looked and looked and looked and has been unable to find any information. However, if you listen to episode 47, that was recorded when we were in, I believe the old office and the old office was deeply, deeply haunted. And we would from time to time get these strange messages imprinted in the recordings that would only turn up afterwards. You could not hear them at the time, but it sounded like a woman's voice and it would say certain things. Uh, and on this particular occasion, it sounded, and I'd forgotten all about this, but this young woman who wrote reminded me that voice appears to have said bluff. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it is connected in any way, but it's one of those things I love to refer to as fascinating coincidences. Mm-hmm. Listener, if you're out there, the person who wrote that email, I did send an email saying that I would love to interview you about that. And I just want to reiterate that I'd very much like to continue that conversation. So if you are out there, please do get in touch because, uh, I know what it's like to, to have that kind of dream and to not make any sense of it until something happens and it puts an entirely new lens on it. And all of a sudden it becomes clear. So maybe we can help, uh, get you on the road to providing a little bit of clarity. Can't promise anything, but, uh, it's certainly worth a try. Don't sleep. It was February 2001. We had acquired the building that would become the Ghost Light Theater a month prior. I was sitting in my cold basement office when I started to doze off. I immediately heard a small group of women shouting, don't ever fall asleep in this building. I woke with a start. What the heck was that? I heard it loud and clear, but in my head, it was urgent and sincere. I took it as a warning. I only violated the rule once, and I will never forget it. I fell asleep in the office a few years later. The moment I was fully asleep, I was greeted by the people and events of this building from the last century, all at once. A mass of people, and yes, things and events came hurtling at me like a freight train, all wanting attention at the same time. I woke with a scream, and I finally understood what the warning meant. It wasn't to keep me from being afraid, because I was anyway. It was to keep me sane. I think if all of a century descended on me at one time, 
and desired to be processed all at once, I would probably short circuit and go, well, to use Poe's words, stark raving mad. There have been sleepovers here at the theater for the young people, but I have never attended and I never will. Nobody else has experienced this and I'm happy for them. That is particularly fascinating. And, and that was a story from Don Swartz, the owner of the ghost light, right? Yeah. Yes. Correct. And I wonder, he seems to be particularly sensitive. I wonder if that's one of the reasons he was so uh, susceptible to that experience. And I think it's it's so interesting because I feel like if he had this experience now, 20 years after, you know, spending every single day in the building, I'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, like you're you're, you know, you're familiar with the building and you're sensitive to the energies. But it was only a month in, you know, he was a newcomer yeah. into this building. So it's very strange to me that he was able to pick up on this so early into his relationship with the building. Paul, it, it kind of reminds me of what we talked about, um, I believe, off air, and a little bit might end up in the outtakes, but this idea of kind of recompiling things. Yeah. You know, how, how you have not been dreaming, and then you stop smoking, and now you're, you're not only dreaming, but you're having crazy-ass dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. And uh, you'll hear all about it, patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. We're not going to tell you about those dreams. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there's if there's some form of that here, you know, this some some sense of having to take everything in or 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 the building somehow wanting to be understood. But it, it tries to do it too much at once. Mm. Mm. And especially because Don's the guy that's taken this theater under his wing. He's he's the person that's brought it back to life. Maybe they're wanting him to appreciate and understand everything that's happened, but obviously it's information overload, but they're yeah. wanting it to, to sort of be passed to him somehow because he is the new custodian. He is the new guardian. And for them, he is now the part of that history. I really want to make a Highlander joke. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I can't think of a good one. So we're just going to go with that. Never but, stopped uh, you before. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Paul the, the Knives Out Bestel. <laughs> we specialize in bad jokes, my friend. It's true. It's true. <laughs> That's the subtitle of the show. So, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. That was a ton of fun. I, I really love reading those stories. And uh, I, I had actually planned to read a bunch more, but we're, we're running up against the, uh, the, the barrier of, of reasonable amount of time we can expect from you which is probably for the best because this way everyone else gets a chance to pick up the book and read it for themselves. Exactly. It was just a tease. That's it. Yep. I was ghost tease guy. Nope. No, let's not make that association. <laughs> Leave it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> but Amanda, where can everyone find you online? So I am a millennial. So of course I'm addicted to social media. Mm. Um, so I'm all over the place. Uh, my website is spookeats.com. And then I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Spook Eats. It's nice and easy. It's all one word. I am also dabbling in TikTok, but I also feel like I'm part of the geriatric unit over there. So I'm Dude. kind of on TikTok, TikTok, kind of not. We'll see. Right there with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we started an account because I had this great idea of doing two or three line horror stories with these time-lapse drawings done by um, Wanda Fraser, who's an artist who works with us. And really creepy stuff. And I thought, oh, 30 seconds, perfect. And I looked at the analytics and people weren't making it past the first 
10. And, and I, the, the idea of me trying to tell a story in 10 minutes, as you've gathered from hearing us yak on this entire afternoon, very difficult thing. So I, we really cut them down to just 10 seconds and it broke my heart because it's really just a time-lapse drawing with some creepy music and it's over. And I can't yeah. get my head around that kind of attention span. Not that I think it's bad, just it's so hard for me to work with. Yes. Uh, again, me too. I'm a rambler. I could talk all day. So like when I like run out of time on the video, I'm like, oh, screw this. This is terrible. So <laughs> I understand. I'm not alone. Finally, finally. <laughs> and where can people find copies of the book, Ghost of the Ghostlight? Because as you mentioned, 100% of the proceeds does go towards supporting the Ghostlight Theater. And we want to make sure people can do that as much as possible because we all know how hard it's been through COVID and businesses especially arts businesses like the ghost light have been struggling. So what, what's the best way for them to get a copy? So there's two ways to get a copy. Um, the easiest would probably just heading to spookeats.com slash shop. Um, that's where all of my books are available and the ghost of the ghost light is right there. Um, if you're on Instagram, also the link in the bio um, takes you right to um, a link that you can get um, personalized copies if you want them autographed. Um, it always feels weird saying that, <laughs> um, but those are two locations where you can track down copies of the ghost of the ghost light theater and we will send you a copy. And again, um, 100% of the money goes right back to this theater. Um, so every little bit helps. And to that end, we're going to be giving away five autographed copies of Ghosts of the Ghost Light Theater. So if you are interested, we're going to have you send an email with the subject heading, make mine ghost light to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We will draw from the entries and five lucky people will have an autographed copy of Ghosts of the Ghost Light Theater sent to them from Amanda. So again, send us an email with a subject heading, make mine ghost light to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com if you want to be eligible for that. And we will be drawing those entries a week from the episode release day. So this episode will be released on Tuesday, May 18th. We will be drawing for those winners on May 25th. So you're going to want to listen to the show in the first week, although I suppose if you're not already listening to it in the first week, that's not going to help you. But uh, either way, send email subject heading make mine ghost light to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com if you want to be included in the draw. And we will draw the winners a week after this episode releases. That will be on May 25th. So Amanda, thank you so, so much for being here. Uh, this was a ton of fun. We got to have you back uh, just telling stories generally. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. At any time you want to have me come on and share some ghost stories, I would love to. I love it. It's been a pleasure. there listeners before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button i promise you this isn't an ad we wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health on this show i've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help and when you start to feel like there's no help it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do 
was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks again to Amanda Woomer for hanging out with us on this episode. Make sure to follow her on social media, folks. She's a great lady. She knows her shit. And her book, Ghost of the Ghostlight Theater, is a really fun read. Both Paul and I have copies. And if you like ghost stories, you should pick up one for yourself, too. And like we said before the break, we're giving away five autograph copies. So if you send an email to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com with the subject heading, Make Mine Ghostlight, we will draw from those entries a week from today. This episode is dropping for the public on May 18th, and so we will draw from those entries on May 25th. Also, thanks to Luke, Anthony, and Sarah for their help on this and every episode. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. For real. Thanks also to our musical guest, who obviously you have not heard yet, but you'll be hearing at the end of the show. They are The Revenants, and The Revenants are a project of the artist Elliot Wilde. And Elliot is a singer-songwriter based out of the East Coast, an extraordinarily talented and prolific artist. It, it, the amount of quality music Elliot generates is, uh, it, it's actually kind of mind-boggling. I don't know how he does it. It's, it's a wonder to behold. The song is from the album Human Conditions. It was released earlier this year. And if you like what you hear, make sure to check them out by following the links in the show notes or by heading to therevenants1.bandcamp.com. And thank you, Paul. As always, my friend and co-host, the paranormal Johnny Carson, thank you for keeping me company. And, and you don't even have to go this time because it's, we recorded this in two chunks over two days. So you, it's not one in the morning or whatever we usually finish at your time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, not, not that that normally bothers me. Um, this uh, is most, true. Most times, but uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to finish off recording whilst it's still daylight here in the UK. What a crazy idea. It's actually daylight here too, but the windows are closed, so I, I don't have to look at it. <laughs> so what's coming up on Mysteries and Monsters, Paul? Okay, so uh, we've just dropped an episode with David Weatherly. We've got uh, a lost possession case that has recently come to light. So I've got an episode with the author M.R. Gorga talking about that. I've got one of Canada's finest paranormal investigators, Morgan Knudsen, returning. Fantastic. Um, Representing Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Edmonton's finest. Oh, Edmonton and, uh, too. Well, I fucking love Edmonton. And then uh, we've got the return of the Australian cryptozoological legend, Tony Healy. Amazing. Well, make sure to check out those shows, folks. They're all going to be great. Those are, that's a hell of a lineup. Paul gets great guests. And uh, where can everyone find you online? 
You can find the show uh, across all social media platforms under Mysteries and Monsters. Uh, website is mysteriesandmonsters.com. Uh, and wherever you find your podcasts, just look for Mysteries and Monsters. Lovely. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Largely the Truth. The show is on Instagram at The Ghost Story Guys, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys. And, uh, well, Paul, this is usually the part of the show where I, in my solitary solitude, and I don't fucking know, but this is where I tell everyone about the Patreon because we have lots of great bonus shit for patrons. Five bucks is where you start getting all the bonus stuff. So you get the me and Paul episodes, which is me and Paul shooting the breeze, talking about pretty much whatever. Um, we, we also have done uh, one so far patron Q and a that was almost two goddamn hours long. And so, uh, yeah, if you want to hear those conversations where we talk about Marvel or whatever YouTube, uh, rabbit hole Paul is currently journeying down and those are always interesting. Mm. You want to listen <laughs> to me and Paul. <laughs> There's also the sunken library, which is uh, a bonus paranormal podcast that I host where we do a, a dive into a show that either doesn't fit the main format of the main podcast or is just too long. So sometimes we'll get a, a listener email that is really good, but just it would be too long to tell on the main show. It would take up the whole show, and the Sunken Libraries is where we share those. $10 and up is where you start to get the live events, so that's the uh, monthly patron movie night-ish. And it's a night-ish because, of course, we start at noon, as Paul is in the UK. And we have watched some majestic films, all of them suggested by Senor Bestel. What have we watched yes. so far? We've watched... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not, I say that without a hint of irony, too. Uh, Kingdom of the Spiders, wasn't it, the first one? Yep, yep, the William Shatner's Kingdom of the Spiders. Uh, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Wonderful, I actually bought a copy of that one for, my, for myself afterwards. Snow Beast. Ah, uh, yes, of course, Snow Beast. <laughs> uh, we've just actually done one that was actually rather good, which was Horror Express. Yeah, that was Horror Express was last month. I felt bad talking shit about that movie. That was actually a good movie. It is. Well, I own it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can watch it whenever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Sexy telly in that. Yeah, major telly Savalas energy in that one. Mm. Mm. And I believe this month we're going to be watching the classic creature feature Frogs, starring a very young Sam Elliott without the big sexy mustache. And it's, it's yes. a little, little disconcerting, I got to say. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, 70s horror films seems to be sort of a, a sort of breaking school for a lot of very famous actors. There's, uh, there's numerous people who turn up randomly in 70s horror films that you just think, what? And then you just realize that, well, everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Funny enough, Nick and I have been watching uh, The X-Files, as I've mentioned, is my first time through. And there's a ton of people in very, very early roles in there. Like uh, Jack Black was very, very young in one yeah, of them. Oh, that's a weird one, that one. Is that the... Um... Is it the video game store? Yes, that's episode? the one. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Jack Black. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the other ones escaped me, but tons and tons of people. And as you say, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it was strange because I was, somebody was mentioned, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about the, the when the Twilight Zone came back in the 80s. Right. And obviously the launch show for its big return, the main star of that one was a very young Bruce Willis. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's called, is it Shatterstar, the first episode when it came back, 85, 86? But yeah, it's Bruce Willis. I'll be damned. With hair. Speaking of Bruce Willis with hair, Nick and I watched 
this, I want to say 1981 Frank Sinatra detective film called The First Deadly Sin. And if you look in a restaurant scene near the end, just for an instant, there is a man with hair and a, fl- and a flat cap coming through the door. And it is, I believe, the first uncredited screen appearance of Bruce Willis. Ah. So uh, if you want to watch a really old Frank Sinatra, be sad as he investigates crimes. <laughs> the first deadly sin is for you. Well, that, that's quite peculiar, isn't it, as well? How's that? Because both Frank Sinatra and Bruce Willis have played John McClane. Oh, Jesus, of course they have in The Detective. Yeah, so Sinatra played, because obviously we've laughed about the fact that when they <laughs> when they were going to make Die Hard, Sinatra had a contractual obligation to be offered the role, and luckily for everybody concerned, he turned it down. <laughs> Man, he would have just shattered like the T-1000. <laughs> he'd, he'd be buggered without the lift. Oh, he really would be. I, w- I want to see him doing one of those, like the two-gun shooting thing, but he's on he's one of those stair lifts that slowly <laughs> take your, your, your chair up. <laughs> so, yeah, well, int- I like little weird things like that. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I hadn't even made that connection, but you are, you're so right. Huh. See, folks, this is what you're missing out on with Movie Nightish. <laughs> <laughs> the way my, my random brain synapses fire you. Hey. That's what, that's what I keep coming back for, so. So, yeah, again, you can find all that and more, the physical rewards, a bunch of other stuff, patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, I keep saying this, I'm going to do it, we'll be adding a new patron video, a new, we'll be adding a new patron welcome video, and we'll also be adding a couple more tiers, including a, a target tier or goal tier for the bonus uh, weekly X-Files rewatch podcast that I would be doing if we, if we reach that point. So uh, if you want to add to my workload and watch me sweat, patreon.com slash ghost story guys <laughs> is the best way to do it. Our theme song radio into the darkness we go is composed and performed by Peter Pizzanta music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizzanta music, wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is the future belongs to them now by hexagram. Find more from them by searching for hexagram everywhere. You get your music. And remember, that's hexagram with two X's, not three. Finally, all other music and sound effects on this podcast are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for Podsafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. And last thing, if you want to hear more from me, don't know why you would, but you can, I was on Finance is the Other F Word recently talking with Mel O and Zoe about tulip mania, the Dutch tulip bubble as it relates to NFTs. Of course, I know nothing about uh, NFTs, but I was there to provide my, uh, my wise perspective on nodding at exactly the right moments. So that's, that's what I did. And I also just recorded my spot on the Adkins Undisputed podcast. So keep an eye out for that. I believe that episode will be out in about a week after this one airs. And Mike, the host, had me on to talk about the 2015 film Zero Tolerance. That podcast is a career retrospective or a, I don't even, it's not a retrospective because he's still alive, but it's sort of a, a look at the career of the British action star, Scott Adkins. Each episode is a different film. And, uh, if you like action films, I recommend you check it out. And I particularly recommend the episode obviously with me on it because Mike and I had a hell of a time talking about, uh, the filmography of the director of that particular film and a whole lot more. So again, that's Adkins Undisputed. I'll be on the episode talking about the film Zero Tolerance. And that should be out a week or two after today. Paul, I guess that's it. Indeed. Absolutely. Been a pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. As always, it is a pleasure to have you here. 
We'll be back in two weeks with another show. But until then, into the darkness we go.
Blame it on the morning. Yeah, it's noon. It's noon. It's early, Paul. It's early. Yeah, it's Speaking early. Yourself. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I've been finished work three hours. <laughs> I finished work about two in the morning, so I kind of <laughs> unclean. Uh, you're unclean. It's, it's true for, for more reasons than usual. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Sorry, I have someone playing a drum solo outside. One sec. Night of the Living Dead. Oh, sorry. Wrong end. <laughs> Read the wrong line. I'm reading the first line and it's not that, is it? Yeah. Lawnmower the other week, wasn't it? Oh, geez. Yeah. Hell's biggest lawnmower. Oh, my God. Just popping wheelies back and forth past my goddamn window. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to moving to a, uh, a new place uh, in the next couple of weeks and, uh, with, with double glazing that actually keeps sound out. So uh, that, that's going to be a, a whole new world for me. So you've just got single uh, single glazing windows. Where in the room I do it because I'm re- recording in my attic. Oh, right, gotcha. With a massive six foot by six foot window above my head. Oh man. <laughs> I joke. We've got single glazing windows here too in this junky 1970s apartment building, so I shouldn't be too uh, <laughs> can't be too haughty about my about the window yes. arrangement. How's your glazing, Amanda? We, we ask the hard questions here on Ghost. Yeah, Day. right. <laughs> What's your favorite type of draft exclusion? Yeah. <laughs> we actually have this big knit one that Nikki ordered. I, I've never even heard of a draft excluder. And then she said, I've ordered a draft excluder. A, a what? And it's this enormous, I don't know, three, four Sausage. foot long. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, like a caterpillar. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, man, you want terror, come out in the middle of the night with the red LED lights on and just see these many legs by your door. <laughs> Are you serious? Jesus Christ. Goddamn lawnmower. All right, I think it's gone far enough away now. Are you selling autographed copies? I can't remember. Um, Yeah, in my Etsy shop, there is an option to get like personalized and I'll send it autographed, which always feels weird because I feel like that lessens the value, but... <laughs> <laughs> Ah, the modesty. (laughs) So, but yes. Weird dreams I've been having the last 12 months. I I don't know. This this was a waking thing, so that's that's debatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were joking because um, I I quit smoking last last June, Amanda. Um, And I'd never really dreamt a lot. And since I've stopped smoking, I'm obviously telling Brennan some hilarious 
weird dreams I've had. And, and I've, had, I've had absolutely batshit crazy dreams the last 12 months. That's so weird. You know, a long time ago, and this is kind of dark, but a long time ago, a friend, uh, someone in my family suffered um, a, a stroke and there was, uh, they're okay now, but you know, there's a long period of recovery. And one of the guys in the ward with them at the time, he, he'd had a really bad one. And he just talked constantly. He wasn't conscious. He just talked. And it mm. sounded like he was talking through his memories. Yeah. Just oh. like re-experience, re-experiencing everything. And it, it was sort of like from the time he was a kid. And I mean, he, apparently he almost fully recovered, which is, is frankly incredible. But it was almost like his brain was kind of recompiling itself. Yeah. Yeah. And like I kind of... rebooting. Yeah. And, and I kind of wonder, and not that I think you, you've had a stroke, obviously, but like... I kind of wonder if whatever change came about at the same time, because I don't necessarily think it was the nicotine. I mean, I, I've heard about people stopping quitting weed and dreaming again. Yeah. But not not smokes. But I wonder if there was like some sort of conscious shift that happened at that time that mm. is now sort of your brain is like recompiling those parts of itself, you know, and yeah. sort of like processing all these things that for a long time it wasn't able to properly process. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's worrying. Are you right? Yeah. <laughs> Have right, fun can't with wait that. to see what it gives me next. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been able to unearth any kind of information about Jesus Christ? There's that lawnmower again. <laughs> How often do they need to mow the lawn? <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's it's literally going right past the infamous Bigfoot that's called Nobby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Yeah, we never really got to why they call him Nob. I think I think it's because he 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 was seen in an area called Nobs Hill or Nobs Creek, and that's why sure. they call him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, <laughs> it that's is. A, that's Wink. what they tell. That, that's what. Hey, I'm just going on what I'm told, you know, guys. You know, I'm, I'm not here to question the validity <laughs> validity of why why he's called Nobby. All right, <clears throat> dirty buggers. <laughs> <laughs> she did it. Yeah, I'm easily led. <laughs> you both are clearly. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's only one of us who actually requires extra editing because he breathes so much in the microphone, and it's not you. <laughs> it's me. Exactly. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you finally said it. All this time, Amanda, it's been really problematic. I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. We've dealt with the elephant in the room now. That's right. Yeah. Now the healing can begin. Yes. <laughs> right. Sorry, I just muted myself there because obviously the Hells Angels have just driven past. Of course. I mean, in your neighborhood, I believe it. Yeah, it's not like that. It's full of hipsters where I live. It's a very strange hybrid of, of the world right around where I live. It really is. Again, I, I that Bindi Beggy, that song, I just, when I, I've listened to that nonstop since it, since it first came up to me. And every time now, I just see you walking down the street telling someone all these all this shit that's in the neighborhood. And the guy's like, dude, I just want some mushy peas. You're like, oh, fuck that. We got Ranga Banga. <laughs> Dal Halal. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 about ten minutes to go to the the first decent chip in round here. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a really a pretty decent one at the end of our road. We got a pretty decent little Chinese place, mm. and uh, yeah, it's it's not bad. Nice nice folks. It, it's generally kind of a shitty area for food. Most of the restaurants here are in James Bay or garbage. Mm. But uh, we got a little diner around the corner from my place, and then uh, the Chinese place. But uh, yeah, not quite the sterling variety that uh, exists in the. Megalopolis to the Sheffield. <laughs> That's just the street. I know, of course, you motherfucker. <laughs> I'm going to move there and then it's all going to go away and you'll be so sad. 
Because wherever well, I am, <laughs> cool things cannot be. So I'm going to turn well, up. Was... <laughs> they're just going to run. Because that was the funny thing. Because when when I when because I, I used to live around here before, and then I moved away about when when did I move away? 2011. So most of it hadn't. And then when I moved back around here after I split with my partner, I moved back around here in 2017. It had it had just got really cold, and my mate just went, "Yeah, that's probably because you fucked off." He's <laughs> like, "Oh, thanks, mate." With friends <laughs> like this. There we go. That's the way this Woo! should be.